Welcome. We're Global Challenges students from Brunel University. Uh, my name is Laura Shea-Smith and I'm studying Global Challenges and Planetary Health. So the Climate Change Conference COP26 is happening at the moment in Glasgow and delegates from all over the world are meeting to discuss various subjects regarding climate change and the Sustainable Development Goals. Today is day four on the subject of COP26 today's nature. So we're going to be chatting about nature with Professor Trevor Hoy from the uni. So nature-based solutions to climate change often focus on adapting to live with the effects of climate change such as say incorporating more green spaces into urban areas to reduce things like the urban heat island effect rather than tackling the actual issue of climate change at its core so which do you think at this time is more important to be just discussing and consequently legislating on thanks laura in a way you can't differentiate between the causes and the adaptation and the mitigation because if we don't do all of those things then societies now or in the future or both are going to suffer negative consequences. So you have to do a bit of everything, yeah. which is, is slightly not answering your question, of course. The core of climate change and the drivers behind climate change need to be addressed. And if we don't focus on those reducing greenhouse gas emissions, then the long-term prognosis is, is extremely severe. So we can't not do that part but equally adaptation which allows us to live with the consequences of climate change is absolutely necessary there are people all across the world but especially in parts of the global south who right at this moment are experiencing the negative consequences of climate change and we need to work with them to identify solutions and ways to adapt immediately so you can't really say one is more important than the other. You've got to do both with different sort of timescales of response in mind. Yeah, I definitely feel in terms of like adapt, helping the global south adapt, there needs to be more of a focus on like climate justice as we go into the future. Countries in the global north taking responsibility for actions that they've done in the past. And that's a different sort of issue, isn't it? A really important one because the legacy of the past is not going to go away. No. And we've built in to the Earth system, another 50, perhaps 100 years of warming, even if we were to drastically reduce greenhouse gas emissions immediately. So there is a, a long-term consequence for those things that have happened in the past. And I mean, you use the, the phrase climate justice. I think there needs to be a, an appreciation as to what we mean by that. I think it it's really important that the countries that were historically responsible for those significant greenhouse gas emissions take responsibility and take primary responsibility for what needs to be done in future. That isn't to say that they are in any way being blamed for having done things in the past. Something I read recently, somebody said when the internal combustion engine was invented for cars, the inventors didn't think, oh, in the future, this will lead to island nations being drowned by rising sea levels. It was it's a very unconscious, indirect effect but we have to accept that it's a real effect and the responsibility for those historical emissions don't regard it as a blame game just accept it as a fact yeah. and then put in place strategies for reduction and adaptation as we talked about before that recognize that historical fact 
So the scope of the Sustainable Development Goals is obviously very wide-reaching, which leads to the need for many trade-offs, as you found in your work in the interlinkages between the Sustainable Development Goals in river basins in China. So would you therefore like to see changes in the way the Sustainable Development Goals are written and formulated, or do you think that these trade-offs are actually essential for sustainable development and should just be accepted? The SDGs are interesting. You read each one of them individually, and they they are entirely logical they make perfect sense it doesn't take a lot of thinking about though to see how there could be conflicts between them that in order to deliver one sdg you might be delivering on on clean water that may also mean that you're using less fertilizer less pesticides on your crops that may reduce crop yields and therefore you're having a negative impact on food production and so those trade-offs and interlinkages are very much built into the sdgs the way they're written that's not a problem the earth system is complicated we know there are complex interlinkages things interact in ways we don't necessarily expect they interact over different time scales and so the fact that the SDGs reflect that complexity, I, I don't think we should be surprised by. What we do need to do, though, is to make sure there is awareness of those trade-offs and interlinkages, and so that when we're trying to develop policies maybe aimed at one or two of the SDGs, that we, we see them in context and we realise that there may be consequences elsewhere, and we try to bring those to the forefront of, of planning so that... They aren't unexpected consequences. We yeah. we know that they're there. And if they are undesirable and are worse than the benefits we're going to get, that we change the actions that are being taken. I'm really not an expert in how the SDGs have been framed, but I would say that I, I think they serve a very useful purpose. They are easily understandable. They've become widely used. I wouldn't be rewriting them, okay. but I would be explaining to people the fact that they are a necessary simplification of very complex socio-environmental economic systems. So in order to increase the amount and effectiveness of nature-based solutions to climate change, what would you most like to see integrated at COP26 discussions and then potentially in legislation? The concept around nature-based solutions is interesting. So it, my own area of expertise is in, in river hydraulics and flooding. So if we think about flooding as an example, nature-based solutions to flood problems are available. They can be effective. They are not sufficiently well established that we've got uncontrovertible scientific evidence as to the best way to, to apply them and to exactly how they work. But there is enough evidence and enough, if you like, theoretical understanding to say, yes, they can make a difference. As you were just talking about in the previous question, you, you mentioned about interlinkages. There are links between nature-based solution to flood risk and enhancing biodiversity, for example, or reducing pollution. So there are other positive spin-offs from some of the nature-based solutions that might be applied. The challenge is that in order to solve here and now problems, some of those nature-based solutions are less effective in the short term than you might think of as more traditional sort of engineering solutions. So if you want to reduce flooding, building very high flood walls, you know is going to work. A nature-based solution may take longer and may have slightly less certain consequences. So needs to be integrating nature-based solutions with structural solutions, with behavioural solutions, with changes to planning legislation as, or whatever you need to do in order to manage flood risk in the future. 
the risk is that the nature-based solutions, because they are slightly longer term, get pushed to the back of the queue because people think, well, that's not going to have an effect for a while. We're not quite sure how it's going to work, so we won't resource it. But actually, in the long term, may turn out to be extremely cost effective. So I think what we need is long term planning and we need to be accepting that some of the actions we take now are designed to try to mitigate or adapt to climate change now and in the next few years but some of them may have paybacks in 20 years time 50 years time 100 years time that seems to me entirely reasonable we are trying to deal with a problem that is a a problem that even if we do everything we can it's going to take us 100 years or more to resolve so some of the solutions if they take that sort of time scale to become effective that shouldn't actually be a, a negative thing yeah. Would you like to see them sort of more scaled up then as well on that note? Because obviously a lot of them, so that you mentioned flood risk management, they tend to be quite focused on smaller areas of silica flood defence. They would only sort of protect like one certain area. They do tend to be quite small scale. We, we think about them as quite small scale because I think in, in the UK, being a relatively small country, we tend to think about quite local solutions. So work that's being done to reduce flood risk, for example, in Yorkshire by changing the drainage on some of the moorlands there. That's a relatively small scale scheme, which hopefully is going to reduce flood peaks in the, the valleys in West Yorkshire. The work that you mentioned at the beginning that we we carried out in China was in a river basin that when you look at a map of China, it's quite small, but it's about half the size of England. And wow. there, the problem they were trying to resolve initially, or one of the problems they were trying to resolve initially, was dust storms in Beijing. And you, you might have seen media coverage occasionally of these red dust storms in Beijing. You can hardly see past your nose huge amounts of dust. What they did to reduce that was to plant forest and within the forest cover grass was then growing. So you're protecting the ground surface, you're reducing wind speeds, reducing the dust. And over approximately a 20 to 30 year timescale, that has had a major impact on reducing the dust storms in Beijing. Now, to link again to one of your earlier questions, it's also had other consequences on water availability for example because planting lots of trees means you're using a lot of water in the trees so there's less water running into reservoirs so there have been consequences of that but that's a good example of how a nature-based solution at a a larger scale than we're used to in in the uk has had a a demonstrable impact over a, a couple of decades type time scale so events like COP often receive criticism for being more about discussing action and less about actually making big changes. So why do you think events like this tend not to actually lead to quantifiable outcomes? And what do you think would be the best way to sort of incentivise countries and corporations into actually making big changes? You hear that criticism quite a lot, don't you? That yeah. These are talking shops. And I, I know there was some quotes attributed to Greta Thunberg recently about talking about lots of talk and not much action and I think the Queen said something similar as well think about it a different way what if COP wasn't happening, what if we didn't have COP, there'd be much less media coverage much less public awareness much less political understanding of the importance of climate change and environmental sustainability the fact that these events are happening raises awareness when you listen to people from smaller countries, when you listen to people from small NGOs, they will tell you that an event like COP provides them with access. 
that they would never get in other ways. They have the opportunity to have a cup of tea with Bill Gates or Barack Obama or Angela Merkel or whoever that they wouldn't be able to do outside of the COP-type framework. And those discussions, those chances to raise their issues are a way of them lobbying for what they think needs to happen, but making sure that their concerns remain high on people's agendas. So while we can criticise COP for being a little bit of a jamboree and for lots of carbon being expended and people travelling to Glasgow and for the impacts on the, the city that it's being held in and all of the other negatives that get into the press, there are a lot of positives come out of, of those interactions. Obviously, we would like to see concrete agreements on reducing CO2, reducing use of fossil fuels, uh, more sustainable activities such as mining in future. If those concrete agreements don't come out of the COP meetings, the COP meetings are of themselves, they are the showcase, but there's a big process that goes on all of the time that underpins those. You may not get the big advances in Glasgow this week. We might have to wait two or three or four years, it might be in the next COP, it might be in between the COPs that the advances happen. But the COPs are part of the process to deliver those yeah. those improvements. Politicians don't like to go away from these events empty-handed, though, and the negotiations will go on long into the night, possibly right onto the, the final day, and they will try to get something that they can sign up to that gives them something concrete that they can refer to and use to demonstrate that progress has been made, there will be a lot of progress being made behind the scenes. So just finally, what are things that you think listeners who are concerned about climate change, what do you think they can do to help like alleviate their impact on the planet or in particular help alleviate their impact on nature? There are some old slogans, aren't there, that uh, have, have been well used, the sort of think global, act local those sort of slogans that every journey begins with a single step we easy to quote those sorts of, of things but actually there is a lot to that resolving climate change you can say is such a big problem it can only be done at global level by governments agreeing that's very true at one level but on the other hand we as individuals if we all take actions that we can do ourselves that will have a a significant cumulative impact and that impact will also help us to influence decision makers to do more if they see individual citizens taking action effectively that gives them if you like a, a mandate to do more at a government level if we're doing nothing as individuals it's easier for them to say well maybe we don't need to do anything as as governments none of us can solve these issues ourselves no. But we can all make a contribution and yeah. we equally shouldn't be feeling guilty about the things we can't do. There is a tendency sometimes in, in some of the some of the coverage and some of the people who campaign on these issues to try to make people feel guilty about using the car to take the kids to school or whatever. If it, you really need to take the kids to school by car, that's absolutely fine. We're not saying you can never do anything. But if you can reduce your environmental impact in some other way, then that makes a positive contribution, even if it's a very small way. So don't feel guilty about things you can't do. Do the things you can do. And don't be too surprised if you do something 
and you think it's all fantastic and then in in a year or two's time the advice is to do something slightly different because our understanding is changing all of the time the ways in which we can all make the greatest impact will be changing as time goes on as well so it is definitely something that we can all contribute to small things do add up they do make a difference yeah. businesses in particular and politicians they will follow where people are going if they see a market opportunity in being more sustainable they will pick up on that we can lead as well we don't have to wait for the larger organizations to set the agenda it would be good to see more leadership it would be good to see more explicit recognition of environmental issues of climate change in government policies in their thinking we tend to think of things politicians in particular are often thinking five years or maybe if we're lucky 10 years ahead actually when you get to be a little bit older and you start to look back 30 years ago isn't that long ago and we do need to be thinking forwards in terms of those slightly longer time scales as well and if we can encourage governments to have that slightly longer term thinking then some of the changes that we need to make start to make more sense because you're putting them into a, a journey that we're all on rather than asking for something which may seem like a short-term sacrifice with no, no obvious payback. These events do have real impact. And, and one way in which it's demonstrable that they have impact is actually through the influence they have on young people as well. Obviously, somebody as high profile as Greta Thunberg, we see all of the time, but actually a lot of the small scale initiatives that you hear about coming out of schools and universities are driven by the, the young people who often have a clarity of vision about these issues that is a bit harder for older people with, with perhaps more things to try to, to manage in their, their work or their, their lives to tackle. Again, to use a bit of a cliche, it's the young people who... Are going to have to deal with the consequences of the decisions being made now and so they have really important voice in in this finding ways of allowing them to provide some leadership and guidance is actually really important that's another reason why why cop actually is a good thing it brings to the forefront quite often voices from the younger generation that don't always get heard in political debate as a generation we've sort of recognized that this is our future and we're trying to just get older generation, the people that are in a position to make change, to actually listen and make change. Because as like someone, like a younger person, I don't feel like I'm in a position to make change, like make much change. All I can sort of do is try and make people that are able to do so, like aware of it. And we just, as like a generation, we're just sort of desperate for like people that are in power to actually make some change before it's too late for our generation and like future generations. Yeah, well, you you can certainly have influence, and that, yeah. I, that's really important. And trying to help decision makers, politicians, business people to understand the concerns that younger generations have, I think, is, is really important. That's where the activities that go on around the edge of something like COP can be really beneficial. There will be some really powerful communication of issues and ideas from people who, as we said earlier, wouldn't otherwise have their voices heard, some of which will have traction and will get influence. I definitely hope so. It'd be good to see some like follow-up from COP and actually see some big change before it's too late. Thank you for talking today about COP. Um, it's been really interesting. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.